So if you will turn to John chapter 8, um, I will read the text for us, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. Um, I don't have a bull. I don't a bulletin. Um, I don't have a PowerPoint um, again because I I put this together very quickly. Um, so we're gonna have to do this kind of old school. Um, you're gonna have to listen if you're taking notes. You're gonna have to listen and write at the same time. I know. Oh no. But so John chapter eight verses one through ten. So if you got if you're turned there, um, you can you can uh, go ahead and stand, and I will I will read the text. <clears throat> John chapter eight verses one through ten. Uh, thus says the word of God. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and sat down and began teaching them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began going out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now, I, I did wanted to, to make comment as you as we opened up the first service or right before we did, you saw all the youth kind of over there. So uh, if you don't know, the, they, get, they get words. They get, they get five words from whoever's kind of doing the teaching. And so they, they count how many words, how many times I say certain words or whoever's doing the teaching, they, and, and then they score them. And whoever gets the most kind of wins the day. I don't know what they win, but they, they win bragging rights for how well they listen to the sermon, right? So that's kind of how they take notes. So it was, it was intriguing because they were all over here. And I was like, hey, it's your fan club or whatever. So anyway, I'm popular today. But anyway, so we just read this, this John chapter 8, verses 1 through 10 text. And, and again, there is so much that we could, we could dive into, and, and I would love to dive into John. John is actually my favorite of the four Gospels. But we don't, we don't have, I didn't have time to do the, the study for it, to, to really pull out and, and exegete the text here. So we're just, we're doing this, this devotional and, and I talked about earlier the, the LGBT stuff kind of in the intro this morning, but, but this is Pride Month. And I, I think we're reminded everywhere we look, it's, it's Pride Month. It's Pride Month. And it, it's the celebration of the LGBTQ+. And I don't even know all the letters that go into it anymore. 
but that's the, the lifestyle and the agenda and the fundamentals and the philosophy that go into that. And there are many organizations that support this agenda. Even if they don't outwardly broadcast it, there are many organizations and companies that support this agenda. They have bought into this. Many of them that, that broadcast it, they do this not necessarily because they, they support this so much as they don't want they don't want the backlash of not supporting it. They want they want the public opinion to be on their side. They don't want the effect of the bottom line of their bottom line to have a negative effect. They have diversity and inclusion programs. A lot of the big companies have entire departments, entire divisions. They have vice presidents, executive vice presidents. They have chief diversity officers on their on their their their, their uh, C-suites of people. They have allyship programs are really big right now. People with pins that walk around on their their uniforms at work or whatever. They say, I'm an ally of whatever. That's the culture that we live in. But amazingly, we are at a point where enough is enough. There's backlash going on. Enough is enough. People are starting to disagree with the LGBTQ policies. Enough is enough. But here's the thing. If you disagree, you're labeled a hater. You are condemned as a hater. Now, most people in general do not object to differences between themselves and other people. You're different than me. Fine. I go on about my business. The caveat is as long as those differences are not forced down upon them to accept. For instance, you must use my preferred pronouns. No. I don't need to do anything. And in some places, it's now offensive if you use the word mother or father. It's Father's Day. We have seen in, in a number of instances where there has been pushback against organizations that support this LGBTQ agenda. Several companies have had a hard time of late of selling merchandise of any kind because they put merchandise with the LGBTQ logos on it. But there has been condemnation upon those who support these boycotts because you're a hater if you don't buy this merchandise or you don't shop in these stores. You're hateful. You're childish. But this is the very topic that I want to cover in this text. Condemnation and judgment. This passage states that the woman had been caught in adultery twice. Once in verse 3 it says caught in adultery. And in verse 4 it says caught in adultery in the very act. Now this was a very serious charge against any Israelite. 
as adultery is a sin deserving of death by stoning. It is a crime against a holy God, and I label it as one of the big ones. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's number seven on that list. This was not something to mess around with. Do not commit adultery. Now, a little, a little more than three years ago, we covered this text in our study of the book of Mark. I know that because this was during the COVID lockdowns. We had just started up a little bit of our other normal routines. Our weekly Bible studies weren't quite back up to full speed yet. Pastor Ed and myself were doing online streaming Bible studies on the kitchen counter. Very awkward. <laughs> Mark knows. Uh, but that was, that was awkward just because we were trying to interact with people online. And only online. But this was the part of the text that we had hit. But when we came to this particular interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees, there were several interesting points of discussion that did come up. One of the biggest call-outs at the time was, why was only the woman brought to Jesus? The call-out was that the Pharisees were misogynistic in their view since only the woman was caught and brought before Jesus. Like they had let the man go. Well, you're okay. You're a man. That's a, that's a pretty big assumption. We are not told what happened to the man, as that's, this is not the point of the text. There is equal possibility that the man escaped being caught. He's a man. He's bigger. He's faster. He's more muscular, so he was quicker, faster at getting out of the window. Whatever. Or it's equally possible that they've already stoned him. They've already dealt with that sin in him. We don't know. Any conjecture that we could have upon the man is an assumption that's reading into the text. The point is, the man's not there. We don't know because we're not told. To assume that the Pharisees were misogynistic is to assume that they were less than pharisaical in their application of the law that they held deal, dear and were very strict to. Remember, we talked about Paul and his pharisaical views. He was very zealous to the law. That means he applied it very strictly. He lived to it very strictly. He lived it because that's how you get righteousness in the sight of God. Now you see that seventh commandment does not say that you women should not commit adultery. This seventh commandment does not say that men are excluded or can have so many until they have to pay the piper. There's, there's no defining. It says you shall not commit adultery. It comes down to this because we cannot read too much into the, into the text and we cannot assume things to fit our desired outcome. This woman is just the one person in this adulterous relationship that was caught. 
Like I said, the man could have already been dealt with. He could have already been stoned. We don't know. We're just going to deal with this woman at this time because that's what the text says. So there are many things that we can learn again from this passage of John chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. But I want, what I want to focus on here is the two different points of arguments that the Pharisees and Jesus had about the sin of the woman. When reading the interaction that happens here, we, we may overlook that very difference in approach that the Pharisees and Jesus are taking in dealing with the sin. Now, we, we think of the big picture that, that the Pharisees want to stone her and Jesus forgives her. But there's something a little bit more subtle than that. Now, this thing in age, they just want to love everybody. Just love them and everything will be good. Back in 2001, when when the Twin Towers were hit by airplanes and and Flight 93 hit uh, the field in, in, in Pennsylvania and, and, and all of that. There was actually people that just said, you know, if we would just let those people know that we love them, they would stop hating America. If we would just love people, they would stop sinning. I know my heart. And I know Christ loves me, yet I still sin. Well, I know that's not the answer. Because the, the love of Christ is pure, and it is complete upon me, yet I still sin. So just loving them is, is not the choice here. Now, the two differences, as I, as I alluded to earlier, is, is judging the sin and condemning the sin. Judging and condemning, you, you see, these, these are, are, in fact, two very different things. You can judge sin and you can condemn sin. You can judge a person who commits a sin and you can condemn a person who commits sin. It's two different things. The culture believes that they are the same thing, but they're two different things. So let's get into what these are and how we can understand them as two different things. So the first one is judging. Judging. That word judging or, or judgment is a word that is, is extremely difficult to define because it is a pregnant word. There are many applications for its use. There is the, the judgment passed down by a judge in the courtroom. There is a judgment passed down by the court of public opinion. There is the judgment passed by the true righteous judge who sits upon a throne of, of righteousness and grace. But that word judge or judgment goes far beyond those circumstances. When a friend or coworker does some, uh, or someone that you know does something usually bad, what do they say? Don't judge me. But this is the culture that we may seek to provide input or input. That's what we, that's what we desire to do. We, we desire, we see a friend in trouble. We, we seek to provide input. We, we seek to provide feedback to help somebody. 
Sometimes we even want that. Hey, I just, I did something. This is what I did. Help me. Help make me better. What do you, what do you see? You, you're doing a job. You have a, you have a career. You have a job. You have a, an annual evaluation. That's input. That's feedback that you get. Constructive criticism. Constructive feedback. But is that considered being judgmental? But what about being outside the job? You do something outside the job. You do a homework project. You do a project. You kids, you, you make a drawing. Build something. someone says, well, that could have been better. What does that do? Instead of doing it this way, you should have done it that way. The wording could be different, yes, obviously, but it is constructive criticism, constructive feedback to make you better. But we take that as an insult. We take that as someone being judgmental of us. Because now, instead of it being a job, we take it as an, an attack upon us personally. But that's where we are in, their, in our culture. But here in this John text, the interaction and the judgment of sin must be done rightly. Lying in wait to catch someone sinning is a judgmental spirit. I'm just waiting for you to mess up so I can call you out. I hope today is the day that you make a mistake. That's a judgmental spirit. I want to be right, and I hope you're wrong. That's a judgmental spirit. I pray that is not any of us. We are all sinners. We all will make mistakes. We will all be proven wrong. If not for Christ, we we are all wrong. And this is not the attitude exemplified by Jesus Christ in this passage. Is it not? He did not let the sin go, by the way. He did not let it pass, but he did acknowledge it. But there is a caring spirit within him. I know that you sin, but I still love you. That should be a humbling, a humbling statement to us. You could be the most wretched sinner that you know. But Christ still loves you. And that is what he is doing here. He is showing this woman who has done a vile sin. Yet he still loves her. But as you see from this text, Jesus is not seeking to admonish or to punish or to bring the worst thing upon this woman as he could. 
The law did permit the adulterers to be put to death. But Jesus is not doing that. He's not doing that. Look at John chapter 7, verse 24 real quick with me. Just a few verses up from where we are currently. This is Jesus teaching from the temple. Again, he's in Jerusalem. And he went to Jerusalem, or went into the temple in, in our, our chapter 8 text. But here in chapter 7 was like the, the, day, the day before. Now he snuck into Jerusalem for, to, the, to attend the feast. And here in chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So what does righteous judgment look like? We see the Pharisees passing judgment that this woman sinned and now is worthy of death. But what does righteous judgment look like? For us Christians today in a world that is less and less tolerant, what does it look like? Look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. As an example of, of what righteous judgment looks like, this is where we can start getting a, a grasp of what this might look like. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. So that first verse there verse 1 brethren even if anyone is caught in any trespass you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness right there restore such a one who is in a, in a spirit of gentleness restoration if you find one who has sinned seek restoration with the one who has sinned Call out the sin with the mind of restoration. Don't seek to hold it over. It's not ammunition to hold over someone. Will you sin? Will you sin? Will you sin? Yes, I am a sinner. We are the body of Christ in unity with one another, with unity with Christ. And restoration needs to be had with one another and with Christ. Restoration must be restored. Righteous judgment looks like this, confronting explicit sin, as I just said, explicit sin in another believer out of love. And for the purpose of repentance, so we are calling them to repent, you committed explicit sin. I see that plainly. I'm not seeking to find it. I'm not going about trying to find sin. But I can see explicit sin being displayed in another believer because I'm involved in their life. 
So the purpose of repentance, bringing that person, that believer back into the fold through repentance and restoration or reconciliation with myself or whoever they're sinning against, if they're sinning against anybody, and restoration with the body. Bringing them back to full unity with the body. You see, righteous judgment is not about you pointing the finger at someone and demanding that they be punished. Ha, I caught you doing something wrong. Here comes the anvil. That's not righteous judgment. When did Christ ever find a believer, a follower, any, any sinner, and say, you go to the cross because I have done nothing wrong? That type of mindset, that type of heart is no different than what the Pharisees did here against the woman. And ultimately what they were doing to Jesus. Unrighteous judgment is seeking the punishment of of someone else so that you might feel justified in yourself. In your own self-righteousness, what we talked about this morning and last week. And this is not the the example that Jesus Christ left for us. This is not walking in the spirit. This is the way of the, the world. This is how the world works. This is the desire of the prince of the power of the air. How the world systems go about their business. And those caught in them want to be proven right. And how they want to prove everyone else wrong. Righteous judgment is about repentance reconciliation and restoration between believers, the body, and ultimately with Christ. So that's, that's judgment, righteous judgment. We want to have a righteous judgment to call out sin with, again, that, that mindset of restoration. Because I love you, I don't want you to sin against Christ, the one who died for you. I want to have a full restoration of a loving relationship with you and with everyone else who has been redeemed and with Christ. That's why I call out sin. And I know sin exists. I know it exists within me. I know it exists within you. And I, I pray that you wrestle with it and that you, overwin- you, you want to overcome it. So I don't have my, my night vision goggles on and my binoculars out looking for it but when I see it I can't I can't ignore it I'm not a sin hunter I'm not out there looking for it within everybody I am looking for it in my own heart where can I redirect this brings us to condemnation to condemnation The second thing that I want to call to our attention this morning is that condemnation of the woman. As the Pharisees picked up the stones to condemn her to death, they had moved beyond judgment to what they should have been doing. Just judge the sin. But now they wanted to condemn her. They, in their application of the law and the passing of the final judgment of the law because of her sin, she was guilty of the sin. 
Now, again, as I stated earlier, that, that word judgment is a hard word to define and, and keep within a box because of its many applications. The woman transgressed the law. She had committed a sin. There was no refuting that. They caught her in the very act. She was guilty according to the law. She was guilty. But it is how Jesus applies this understanding and how he uses it to prick the conscience in the hearts of these men. You see, after the Pharisees brought the charges to Jesus about the woman, he stooped down and wrote something on the ground. I don't know what it was. The only people who know that are those who were present at that time. Again, talking about earlier about the, where, where the man was and everything, we could, we could read a whole lot into the text, but that's not important. And what Jesus wrote on the ground in the temple is not important. But look what is recorded for us in the text. He stooped down. These men were ferociously attacking Jesus and ferociously going after this woman to stone her and to trap Jesus. And Jesus stooped down. Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. And this could just be something that defined his humanity. But again, that's pure speculation. Now this could also be that it was just delaying his response to their accusations. Jesus was giving them time to correct their, their heart motivations of killing this woman and trying to trap him. He was giving them time to really think through what they were doing. Let them think about it. But again, it's reading into the text a little bit. But observe how Jesus handles this interaction. He is calm enough to stoop down and write on the ground. He's not panicked in how to save the life of this woman or, or how to avoid a trap. He's not frustrated with the constant trickery of the religious elites. Instead, Jesus stooped down, remained quiet and calm, and wrote something on the ground. It was only after they, they continued in their accusations and such, then Jesus stood up and made one simple statement. He who is without sin among you. Let him be the first to throw the stone. Now this is where the understanding of this text goes sideways. Because the understanding gets spiritualized by a lot of people. At this point, these men who were speaking with Jesus have real physical stones in their hands. And I don't mean the little quarter or half dollar sized stones that you skip across the top of water out at the lake. I'm talking baseball and softball sized stones 
that they will throw at this woman from a distance of about 10 feet and will throw with all their might with the intent of killing her. These are real stones, rocks that they will hurl at her. There is no spiritualization here. These are physical stones. They're not throwing harsh words or harsh judgments. That time has passed. They've already stated the accusations. They've moved on to the condemnation of the woman. They believe the woman deserves death, and they will now be carrying that punishment out by the stoning death of her who was caught in the very act of the sin. But this is where we get confused in our time. For far too many Christians believe that by passing judgment on sin, we are throwing stones. And when done properly, uh, um, throwing stones, and that is not the case here. That's not the case. We're not throwing stones when we judge with a righteous judgment. Now, unrighteous judgment can be like throwing stones as we talked about earlier. But righteous judgment, we are not throwing stones. But the throwing of stones does no one any good. The condemnation of sin is not for us to do as these, as these Pharisees are doing. They're condemning her. That's not for us to do. That belongs to the Lord God alone. Look at Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of, of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was, through the flesh, God did. Sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When Jesus spoke that line, he stood. Uh, he, he stood. Uh, excuse me. He stooped back down and continued writing in the sand. He who has no sin, he can throw the first stone. Once he said that, he stooped back down and continued writing on the floor. But these men were so convicted by what Jesus said that they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. Now that's important to understand, beginning with the older ones. The older ones were the first ones to go out knowing full well and probably full of shame because they had more sin in their lives. They knew of all the sin. These men knew in their hearts that any sin, regardless of what it was, was worthy of death. You tell a little white lie, you deserve death. They could bring attention to the sin that they saw in someone else good that's great call it out but now do what you can to help them repent 
How do you help them be restored to the full joy from that sin, from the burden of that sin? Don't just call it out and let it be. Come alongside and help the restoration, the reconciliation, and the repentance happen. This is something none of those men knew. They never experienced it. And this is why the calm and collected words of Jesus, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her, pierce them so deeply. They knew their sin. They knew their sin. What Jesus was calling the people out for was their condemnation of the woman. It was the stones they wanted to throw at her for which Jesus rebuked them. Not the statements they made against her. It is the same for us today. As the culture turns darker, we must become brighter. But as more and more churches and Christians become inundated or accepting of what the culture says and less inundated and more rejecting of what the word of God says, then we must be judging according to a righteous judgment with the desire of repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. And we will leave the condemnation of sin up to God. For his condemnation will be both complete in its severity and in its timing. Let us pray. Father God, we do thank you for what you have done. We thank you for this body of believers and that we can have a righteous judgment of the sin that remains within us. And Father, we do thank you that for those of us who are in Christ, there is no condemnation of sin. That that has been dealt with through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, we do uh, thank you for the time that we've had today to to expound upon your word, to, to understand the, the, the implications that, that we have to live a life glorifying of, of Christ to put aside the self-righteous acts to put on the righteousness of Christ to live boldly and confident in him to not seek out the sin of others but to call out the sin that we might see so that we can bring about a repentance a restoration and a reconciliation and all for the glory of Christ but may we be protected that we might not fall into that sin as we do so. And Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name.